Well, good morning to you. I give honor to our great and worthy God, the one who alone is deserving of all glory, all praise. I magnify Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity of His blessed and His sacred persons. I'm glad to see each of you this morning. Thankful for your presence. Thankful for the privilege we have to gather around God's good word. And as well, appreciate the songs that have focused on love today. Even in the preludes, I noticed, uh, I think Ms. Rambo's If That Isn't Love and a few others that gave us that focus. And uh, if you're wondering why, you must not have a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But, uh, of course, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And uh, I'm not going to say a lot about that, but I would like to bring a message that will maybe keep in the theme of that. I'd invite your attention this morning to the book of the Song of Solomon, please. Song of Solomon chapter 1. It's a book of the Bible that is very seldom heard from. And uh, not only that, it's also very small. Eight chapters and they're short chapters. If you find the book of Isaiah though, just look back toward Genesis and you should find it right before Isaiah. If you miss it, it's because you didn't look hard enough or you moved too quick. If you find Psalms, you can work your way back toward Matthew and Revelation. But in any event, I'd like for us to look together at Song of Solomon this morning. And we'll be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is a message that speaks of love, but as it speaks of love, it moves us beyond the realm and the dimension of the human. It includes that. I'll say more about that after we've read and prayed. But I want us to think about these words. And as we do, I'd, I'd give you, uh, by way of a title, Oh, How I Love Jesus. But I'd also give you this. Do you love me? By way of a question. Do you love me? Because I believe it's a question that we can answer in the light of Song of Solomon chapter 1. And again, we want to look at verses 1 through 4, which I believe really formed the introduction to the whole book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, the read, we read there in verse 1, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth, Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Trust our God will add his blessing today to his word, this portion of as we together consider it. May his spirit open our hearts, our minds, our understandings to uh, see something of His glory as we consider these things. May we just pause together in prayer, please, before Him. Father, once again we come into Your holy presence in that name that is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, that name of, of whom we sung as we ask, what can wash away my sin? And Father, we thank You for that good answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, we ask of Thee today, that by Thy Spirit You would bless Thy Word and You'd benefit our souls as we look together to this portion 
of what you by your Spirit inspired and gave to Solomon of old. We pray, Father, that you'd open our minds, our understandings, and Lord, give us hearts that are open as well, that we might love you more, that we might be able by thy Spirit to love one another more as well. We pray and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We have here in the Song of Solomon a book, again, that's not a lot heard from when it comes to sermons and messages and Bible lessons. I guess there's a reason for that. That's, some people don't know what to do with it. It's in the Bible, we know it's there, but a lot of folk really aren't sure as to how we should approach it, how we should look at it, because it's primarily a book about love. And it's a book, it seems, about a relationship between a man and a woman. And uh, sometimes we wonder, does that belong in the Bible? And if we ask that, we forget that God's idea in the beginning was marriage, Genesis chapter 2. God designed it. God's the one who's the originator of it. God's the one who instituted it. And so it seems appropriate that there should be a book about marriage. He's the one who authored Male and female relationships. When in the beginning, you remember, He he made man. Genesis 1 gives us the short version. And and then the the longer version of how man was made is given in chapter 2. Focuses more on man. They're they're not contradictory, but they they complement one another. And, And in giving us the story, we see how man was made, formed out of the dust. Somebody said his, grand, his father was mud and his grandfather was nothing, you know. That's a good way to think of it, I guess. But he was formed of the dust. And as he was, God brought to him the animals which he had made so that man could name them, show his authority over them. Because according to Genesis 1.26, that's what he was given. And, and as man did that, God was also doing something else. God was heightening in man a sense of the fact that here comes a, here comes a, well, let's say a pair of pigs, you know. They've been made, made male and female. And Adam names them pig, you know. Now, of course, that wouldn't be the original term, but I'm giving you the English. And then, then, and then along comes another animal. But this is a pair as well. And, and, then, and then another. And guess what? They're male and female also. And, and, and as that happens, Adam's naming them. And I believe God is doing something. He's heightening in Adam a sense of the fact that Adam doesn't have a counterpart. And as he does that, then God performs the first surgery that's ever recorded in human history. He puts man to sleep. By the way, Sir Henry Simpson, the man who invented chloroform, guess where he got his idea? Genesis chapter 2. God put man to sleep before he did surgery. And he puts man to sleep and then he takes a rib out of man and from that he forms the woman. Matthew Henry has some great words about it in his commentary that he he didn't take woman from his head to be over him. He didn't take woman from his foot to be trampled on but He took him from His side to be near His heart, to be cherished and loved by Him. Great words there that He gives. And I believe insightful words that point to God's purpose. But then, Adam wakes up from that sleep and he names her. 
Somebody said he woke up and said, Whoa, man! <laughs> and she got the name woman. Well, that's not accurate, but it's close. Woman in, woman in, in Anglo-Saxon comes from the word for man. Just like in Hebrew, the word man is ish, and the word woman is isha. And she says, She shall be called woman, isha, because she was taken from ish, man. And the idea is, Adam realizes, but before he says that, he says this. And the Hebrew, you could say, whoa, man. Because he, he said, ah, in Hebrew, surely, at last, wow, now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And God instituted the first marriage, and it seems He officiated the first ceremony too, because He said then, before there was a mother and father, He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's God's design. That's God's purpose. And, and there's a book in the Bible that celebrates that. That's the Song of Solomon. But, but I, I need to say a little more about it than that because in the Song of Solomon, we have varying viewpoints about how to approach the book. One way that it's approached is there are people who say, well, you have to understand that the book of Song of Solomon is not speaking at all about human love. It's talking rather about the love of God for His people. It, it's allegorical. In other words, we're to see in it an allegory that, that pictures something. Not, it's not talking about a human relationship. And then on the other hand, you have those who are strictly literal and they say, well, that's all that Song of Solomon's about. It's about a human relationship between a male and female. And, and some of them would even try to say, here's the courtship part and here's the marriage part. And, you know, they'll try to identify the segments of it. I fall in between with many others who've read the book and view it as typical. That is, there's a definite human relationship that's in view because God authored marriage. God made them male and female, and He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. But I remind you that throughout the Scriptures, marriage is, in fact... The relationship of husband and wife is in fact a picture of a greater love, an everlasting love. The love of God indeed for His people or the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. And that, brothers and sisters, I believe is the best way to approach Song of Solomon. We see in it lessons for love for male and female. And one thing you learn when you get married, you need to know how to love. Because one thing you find is when you get married, you don't know a whole lot about love. You thought you did. I mean, you know, when you had that cross-eyed look, <laughs> Kevin got that. When you had that cross-eyed look with one another, ooh, you know, and you thought, oh my, nothing can separate us. And then you have that first fight when you get married, you know. And you realize, hey, I need some rules. I need some help. And God's provided that. God's given it, you know. And, and it, it, it's something that God's Word speaks to for us so that we can know, as in always, how we ought to live. But first of all, we don't really need to know how to live in terms of rules. We need to know how to live in terms of relationship. And to really know how to live, I start with Him. You see, the reason the world is like it is is because in the beginning when our first parents sinned, remember they ran and hid from God and man's been hiding ever since. 
Man's been running from the living God, trying to get away. Now you can't get away. Where are you going to hide from God, you know? They, they hid among the trees. And God asked, where art thou? He didn't ask because He didn't know where they were. He asked because they didn't know where they were. And He spoke so that they could identify their own need. And realizing that, come to Him because that's the only hope for humanity is meeting Him and knowing Him and living life rightly because we're related to Him. And the only way that can happen is through His Son, Jesus Christ. We sung about it already today when He asked that question. Brother Lowry wrote so well in that hymn, What can wash away my sin? And the answer was giving nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, something's wrong. Something's out of kilter. Something's out of place between us. God says in Isaiah 59, your sins is separated between you and me. And the only way that sin can be dealt with is not by my works, not by being a better person, not by being a good person. I can't do that. The only way that can be dealt with is through the Lord Jesus Christ and what He, as God becoming man by a virgin womb did, and that's what, the, that's what the Gospel is. The good news that tells us about how God became a man to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that's what grace is. God, on our behalf, accomplishing what I could never do. I love the way Mr. Toplin, he put it in the hymn, Rock of Ages. Not the labors of my hand can fulfill thy law's demand. Could my zeal no respite know too? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And then he went on to say, In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. File I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, it's knowing Him that brings us into relationship with God. Knowing God in Jesus Christ. And really, that's, that's part of the message of Song of Solomon. And having said that, Let's try to look at this book a little bit. Oh, let me say this too. You know, marriage gets a lot of hits today. Somebody said that romance is the sunrise of marriage. Marriage is the sunset of romance. Somebody says romance is a temporary insanity cured by marriage. (laughs) Marriage gets a lot of hits and it's really been the target of a lot of fallout today. And yet God ordained it. And God wants us to know how by His grace we can live it through His Word. And we can by His grace, by His Spirit. And it'll take a walk of faith to do it, but we can do it. Let's look at the words of the Song of Songs, which is Solomon. Let me just comment on the title in verse 1. That's the title of the book. We call it the Song of Solomon, but the full title is the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And that word Song of Songs in Hebrew is a way of saying the best of all songs. Like in the Old Testament, you remember that place in the tabernacle where they met to worship? They had the outer court, and then they had the holy place, and then they had the most holy place. It's called in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it's called the Holy of Holies. That's the way of saying the holiest. And so Song of Songs is a way of saying the best song. So this song is one that's going to tell us about love. 
And as it begins, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon, begins not with the words of Solomon, but actually with the word of the woman that we come to see later identified in the book as the Shulamite. In Hebrew, it's Shulamith. That word Shulamite, eh, we'll, we'll say more about that in a moment. Let, let's wait a minute. But verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I like to think of this as an intimate entreaty. And I want you to notice who's saying it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's the woman who's saying it. That's interesting because in a lot of marriages, it seems like it's the man who's the most revved up that way, you know. I'm not going to expect any laughter or any amens on that one, okay? But, but that just seems to be... But here it's the woman who's saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And it speaks of a desire on her part. It speaks of her desire for the intimacy. And, and that's an intimate entreaty here. A request that says, I, I want to enjoy the fullness of that intimacy with the one that God's given me. And then she explains why. For thy love is better than wine. And then she explains further. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. The the picture is of, of a woman who is looking at the beloved in her life. And as she looks at him, she begins to think in terms of all that makes her heart speak for him. Her heart raced a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Oh, and I like that. And oh, then there's that, you know. And she puts it all together and she says, wow. And as we used to say in the 70s, she says it backwards, wow. Some of you will catch that later. Uh, But she's, as it were, overwhelmed with love. That's the intimate entreaty. Now, I've said that there's a typical aspect and I want to move over now to think about this in relation to the believer or the sinner if you will and the fact that as believers who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in our in our place as sinners before him one thing that we've come to recognize is intimacy with him The Lord Jesus. Intimacy with our God is the greatest thing we can know. Our Lord Jesus spoke about eternal life in John 17 when He was praying with the Father. Some of you may remember His words. It speaks about how Jesus lifted up His eyes and prayed. And as He did, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may glorify Thee. And then He added, As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He might give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. Then in John 17, 3, He said this, And this is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. You see, we think of eternal life in terms of quantity, living forever. But... It's far more than that because in some measure, every son and daughter of Adam, every created intelligence, including demons and angels, are going to live forever. That's, that's the teaching of Scripture. So, it, it, well, I should say, pardon me, let me rewind with me a minute, okay? Every son and daughter of Adam is going to exist forever. 
try to peg that down because I should have said that a minute ago. But every son and daughter of Adam who knows Him is going to live forever. I mean no life. Life. Real life. True life. Genuine life. Eternal life. Why? Because He's the fountain of life. Out of Him flows life. May I say it reverently? Out of Him gushes life. He's the one who's overflowing with life and joy and peace and love and everything that marks Him in the fullness of His divine being. That's Him. And to know Him is to be connected to that. To know Him is to be joined to life and love and joy and peace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's nothing to surpass that. The world thinks it's in a bottle or in a bedroom or it's in a needle or it's in a book or it's in a philosophy or it's religion or it's in a baptistry. It's not there. It's in Christ. And because it's in Christ... Brothers and sisters, we can say, let Him kiss me with the kisses of His mouth. Lord Jesus, please overwhelm me and sweep me off my feet and let me know the fullness of Your love. Lord Jesus, You're the one who of life the fountain is. Let me drink deeply of Thee. And when I've drunk deeply, let me drink more deeply yet. Lord Jesus, please let me enjoy the fullness of who Thou art. This is the request. This is, this is the, the entreaty here, an intimate entreaty. And, and if we think about it, we see her explaining it in terms of, uh, of who He is. For Thy love is better than wine. Now, I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. Because I guess it'd be good to be honest. We've got some young people here, you know. Before the Lord saved me as a young person, I drank a little wine. Uh, back then, it was years ago. Some of y'all can tell that, right? You knew it wasn't yesterday, right? But, but Boone's Farm wine was real popular back then. I see Deidre laughing. I don't think she ever drank any probably, but... If you did, you got an experience, I'll tell you. I can remember the aftertaste. It tasted like lead. It was bad stuff, I'm telling you. I even rolled a few. Smoked those. I got a high, yeah. But when I met Jesus Christ at age 14 in 1973... I found a love that was better than wine. I found a love that was better than marijuana or any high the world can give because Christ satisfies, you see. And that's what this woman is taken with in the picture that we have of love here. We have one who says of Him, let Him kiss me with the kisses of her mouth. And she's speaking to the third person, but she moves to the second person. For thy love is better than wine. She's been overwhelmed with the love that brings satisfaction to her soul that's found in the Lord Jesus, you see. 
So she goes on to say in the words of verse 3, Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is his ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. She begins, uh, like we mentioned that of the human love, to think about her beloved. She begins to think about him and as she does, she thinks about all the totality of who he is. The, the, the savor of His good ointments. You see, there's not just one good fragrance about the Lord Jesus. There are many good fragrances. Back when I was at uh, Westside Baptist Church in York, Pennsylvania, uh, we pastored there for uh, about five years, from 90 to 95. I, I used to kid and say I was a foreign missionary up there, you know, in Pennsylvania. But, but when we did, I, one of the families in the church, uh, the, the, the mother of the family was Evelyn Sutherland. I called her Mother Sutherland. She was a dear lady. She had 12 children, six boys and six girls, not in that order. But I, I dearly loved her. Well, when we had a pastoral anniversary up there one year, they wanted to give me a nice present. So, so they gave me a suit suspenders, a shirt, a tie. Uh, one of the sons-in-law went out and bought me some Justin boots. Snakes kids, can you believe it? And they also gave me some Calvin Klein obsession. Boy, that was good smelling stuff. It was so good that later when a, one of those salesmen came by from, uh, you know, during the summer break, the college students were out door-to-door sale. He was selling some fake Calvin Klein Eternity. I bought some. I like that Calvin Klein obsession so good. I don't know what your favorite smell is. I have to say when I come to food, I like frying pork chop smell, I'll tell you. Smell of pizza is good. Brothers and sisters, you take every good fragrance and aroma in this world you know and you put it together. I give you the sweet aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the savor of His good ointments, His name is His ointment poured forth. His name is that gift that keeps on giving. It's... it's, fragrant. And that's why one hymn writer wrote, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. We sing about that name. Why? Because there's no other name like that name. That name is the blessed name. That name is the name above every name. That name is the name in which I find forgiveness and salvation. And because of the savor of His good ointments, that name is like ointment poured forth. Now what's beautiful about the picture here is this is the Song of Song which is Solomon's. And the woman which she is identified later never named as we know it but called the Shulamite. In Hebrew it's Shulamith. And what's interesting is the word Shulamith seems to be a play on the name Solomon. In Hebrew it's Shlomo. Now, I know that doesn't sound too good, you know, but, but that's what it is. And Shulamith seems to be like, if you wanted to, Solomon and Solomonus. It's, and remember, Solomon's name, Shlomo, means peace. Shalom in Hebrew, if they greet you, they say peace. Well, his name is peace, and he becomes the name of his people. And we become Mr. and Mrs. Peace.
I was out in Oregon preaching years ago in the 90s, and we were at a camp. Bible Church out there, Baptist Church out there had us come, and we went to a camp down in uh, Mount Jefferson National uh, uh, Park, Camp Cody. And uh, while we were there, we were after just in the downtime we had some of us were talking and and we were kidding there was a brother named jerry who was there and we were talking at that time the post office had for zip codes they had mr sippy some of you may remember mr sippy the zip code man you know and uh jerry was kidding and he said uh he said yeah there's mr sippy and mississippi (laughs) and then he looked at me and he said can you think of a sermon about that? I didn't answer, but one fired in my mind. Not Mr. Sippy and Mississippi, but Mr. Peace and Mrs. Peace. The Shulomo, Solomon and the Shulamith, Shalomite. And the fact that we bear His name. You see, I'm a sinner. I deserve to have no peace. And that's what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah. The refrain of the last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah, broken into sections of three, nine chapters, nine chapters, chapter 48, chapter 57, chapter 66, the refrain is there's no peace to the wicked. And by nature, there is no peace to the wicked. That's the reality. But the good news of the Gospel is, He who is our Solomon, our peace. He by a virgin womb became a man and in becoming a man as God, never ceasing to be God, He lived perfectly. And in His perfect humanity, He died in our place. And what He did according to Ephesians 2 is He made peace by the blood of His cross. And now, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified, that is declared right, By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. God satisfied. God saying, no more problem. No more enmity. No more hostility. No more warfare to all who believe. And He becomes our peace. And the reason He can bear peace is because of what He satisfied for Himself. In other words, He's righteous. And in doing what He's done, He has satisfied His righteousness in His Son. I want to show you this in terms of uh, not just Mr. and Mrs. Peace, but Mr. and Mrs. Righteousness, please. In the book of Jeremiah, I want to ask you, you don't need to turn there, you're welcome to though, I'd invite you to, but... In Jeremiah chapter 23, we read this about the coming Messiah in verses 5 and 6. Again, Jeremiah 23. In verse 5 we read, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days... Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is His name whereby He shall be called the Lord our righteousness. In Hebrew it's Jehovah Sidkenu. Some of you may remember that Sheri and Brother Renato, uh, well actually you sang it I think by yourself didn't you Sherry? The words of Brother Machine. 
great poem that he did based on these words from the Hebrew, Jehovah Sidkenu. Great, great hymn about the Lord Jesus being our righteousness. And that's the name that he bears, Jehovah our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. That's the name of the Lord Jesus as our Savior. But now listen to these words from Jeremiah 33, verse 16. I'll read verse 15 so that it's going to remind you of verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23. Again, Jeremiah 33, verse 15, we read, In those days and, that, and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. That's a lot like 23, 5 of Jeremiah. Now listen to verse 16. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. Now back in verse 6 of 23, it was the name He shall be called. But now the name of Jerusalem in that day will be the Lord our righteousness. May I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Righteousness. Mr. and Mrs. Peace. You see, because He is our righteousness, we have peace. And that's the only way we'll have peace is by knowing Him as our righteousness. In myself, like Adam and Eve in the garden, I've got on fig leaves. Spiritually. Now, I'm glad for this suit that I've got on. It's not fig leaves. If it were, I wouldn't be in front of you. I can assure you. But, but, But I've never worn fig leaves, by the way. God helping me, I don't intend to. I don't care if they're green. I don't care if they're dry. I don't think they're suitable apparel. Apparel, But that's a good picture of what it's like when we try to clothe ourselves in our own righteousness. We're wearing fig leaves. But you remember what happened in the garden when God came on the scene? God gave our first parents skins. What, did ha- what had to happen in order for them to have skins? There had to be the death of an animal. What was God doing? He was preaching the gospel by an object lesson, a picture to our first parents, and showing them that the way we have righteousness is through the death of an innocent substitute. He was looking ahead to Christ. Because you see, while I like this suit, by the way, this is actually, brothers and sisters, this is a Brooks Brothers. You go to the mall and you walk into that Brooks Brothers and you see what those suits cost, you're going to find out they're high dollar. I didn't buy it though. Because this is a dead man suit. We had a dear sister up in York, Pennsylvania. She worked for two very wealthy men in their 90s. And when they died, guess what? They were my size. <laughs> so guess what? I got those dead men suits. But you see, beyond this suit... I'm wearing another suit of one who died for me. And because of that, I'm not wearing fig leaves. I'm wearing a robe of righteousness that God accepts because of what His Son did. I'm clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you'll either go to heaven in your own righteousness, which means you won't go, or you'll go to heaven in the righteousness of Christ, which means you will. 
And you come to that righteousness and receive it by faith in His Son. And that, brothers and sisters, is what God is speaking of here. We bear the name of Him who's because of the savor of sweet ointments, His name is His ointment poured forth. It's the sweetest perfume, the sweetest fragrance, the sweetest aroma you could ever imagine. And, and that, brothers and sisters, is, is what the Shulamite speaking of here. The reality of that. And the Lord Jesus and what He means to us is what we as His people speak of. But I need to go on to go back to Song of Solomon chapter 1. So we can finish the message because I'd rather not end without finishing my text. There's another word in verse 4 of Song of Solomon 1. It's an interesting word. We began with let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth and intimate entreaty. But then in the words of verse 4 we read, Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Notice verse 4 begins with the words, Draw me. And this is the woman as she continues to speak, the Shulamite here. Now, if you think about it, this revealing request here doesn't seem to make sense. If she starts out saying, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, that might sound like me. She's going to run after him and catch him. But she realizes there's something inside her. That even though she loves him, there's something inside her that pulls her away from him. And this side of the fall, this side of Genesis 3, that's the way human love relationships are. We love our mate we love the one God brought to our life, but sadly we feel as well a pull away. We feel the what one person called hide and seek. We love, but somehow we want to play games and run away, you know. Oh, come and find me. You know. It's strange it is so, but it's so. The the, the relationship ought to be one that's just Head on, full barrel, get to one another, but nope. There's those dodgeball, hide and seek, whatever we want to call it. But that's not only true in the human relationship of marriage, it's true spiritually. We know the beauty of Christ, but we also realize we need Him to draw us. We need Him to overwhelm us again with His love and draw us because left to ourselves we'll stand away even though we know His beauty, even though we know the sweetness of the fragrance and His divine being and His perfect saving work. We know that, but we'll stand afar off. And we need Him to draw us. And that's why she's praying that. Draw me, we'll run after you. And brothers and sisters, that's the reality of salvation. He must draw us. Or will not come. That was true in, in, in the beginning. And that's why the Lord Jesus said, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. It's John 6.44 You see, by nature, though he's altogether lovely, we'll stand off and say, as Isaiah 53 says, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. Until he opens our eyes, takes away the scales, and draws us, we won't come. But even after we've seen His beauty by grace, 
we still feel that pull away from Him. That tug that says, draw me, Lord. I need You to bring me into Your presence. I need You to pull me. I need You to, I need you to do the work. And that's, brothers and sisters, why we find ourselves really in light with what Paul says, in light of what Paul says about the, uh, to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Some of you remember he tells God's people there at Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then he adds, for it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And here's the key. I can work out if He's working in. And that's what the woman's praying for here. Draw me, Lord. Draw me and we'll run after Thee. And then there's the beauty of the relationship that really is unpacked throughout the rest of the book. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Who was Solomon? He was king. After David, he became king of all Israel. And he brought that Shulamite into his chambers of love and of intimacy. And we need to be brought into the chambers of the king by his grace. And that experience that continually. And that, brothers and sisters, is the picture that we see here of love. She goes on to say, We will be, we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Oh, I'm glad today for a love that I can remember that's better than wine. I'm glad today for a love that I can rejoice in, in the very person of Him who is love. And I can be glad and rejoice in Him. I'm thankful that believers by grace can have that relationship. But if there are any in this meeting place today who don't have it, if you've not come to experience His love and to know that in your soul, I would say to you, run to Christ. Run to Christ. He says this in John 6.37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. In other words, He will not refuse you if you come. If you come. I know why you're coming, but I'm, 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 I'm just saying come. Come! Come to Jesus right now! Don't wait a minute. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether worthy of you coming to Him. If today you've never believed, if you've never trusted, if you've never received Him by that personal faith birthed in you by the Spirit of the living God through the Word, I tell you, come. If I can be of help to you with an open Bible showing you, be glad to do whatever I can to point you to Him. Because... He's altogether lovely. That's later. That's another chapter in Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Beautiful though, but I'll just give you a little hint, okay? The Shulamite hears him knocking and she doesn't answer. And she, she realizes she's missed her beloved, so she goes out looking for him and the watchmen find her and she's out late at night as a woman. They don't they think she's a bad woman, so they smack her around a little and then she meets the daughter of Jerusalem. She says, If you find my beloved, you tell him I'm sick with love. And they say, What is your beloved more than the other beloved? That's what the world wonders of us as believers. What is there about this Jesus you talk about? She begins to describe him. Oh, 
His head is, his locks are bushy and black as a raven. They're not like mine. Mine are thin and turning gray. His are, he's eternal. He's immutable. Then she goes on to describe him. She summarizes by saying, Yea, this is my beloved. This is my friend. He's altogether lovely. That's the Savior. May you and I love Him like that, brothers and sisters. May we remember who know Him that we're called to a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you remember that and have a happy Valentine's Day.